0: Hey, listeners, before the episode starts, I just wanted to come on here and give you a heads up. We have some technical difficulties with audio with one of our guests. It's still an amazing episode. Enjoy. All right, you guys, it's February, and that means a lot of things. It means you are three months too late to getting Valentine's stuff for your kid. You were supposed to do that in December. I don't know if you knew, but that's how it works around here. Just kidding. But I did one time, exactly a year ago, go to Target. All right, Target. We all, I think everyone here knows what that is. It's like the place you go to get almost anything, especially Valentine's for your kids. And I went, I don't know, maybe it was the day before Valentine's Day. Maybe it was the week. Doesn't matter. And there was Easter stuff on the shelf and there was zero Valentine's stuff. And I was irritated to my soul. So I'm going to be honest. Also, I have yet to give Valentine's stuff for my kids. And here we are. It's probably all gone. Let me know where you got yours. And I'm not making homemade Valentine's. Those days have passed for me. That was years ago. And I don't do that anymore. I want, if you want to do that for me, I want you to do that for me. I cheer you on. I love you. I love the principles. I love all of that. I was that person for a long time, that mom. And then I, and then I'm not, and both moms are great. All the moms are great. However you do it, you're doing great. Okay, friends, enough of this, this February Valentine's Day stuff. Let's shout some worth and shift some narratives for people with Down syndrome. That's what we're here to do. Welcome to the Lucky Few podcast. When you hear the term special needs planning, what comes to mind? If you're like most people, you probably envision paying an attorney a lot of money to set up a special needs trust for your child. That's because the traditional approach to special needs planning tells families to do two things. One, establish a trust, and two, buy a life insurance policy to fund it in the future when you die. But is that version of planning enough to give you a true sense of security today? and complete peace of mind regarding your child's future. As a proud older brother of a younger sister with Down syndrome, Philip Clark didn't think so. That is why he founded Enable Special Needs Planning. His team of expert special needs consultants guide families step-by-step through the planning process and develop lifelong relationships to help them adjust over time as things change. If you want more from your planning experience, check out enablesnp.com that's enablesnp as a special needs planning.com friends do you love a good story a good story changes you right i think we all know this is true and if you've been listening over here for a minute we also know that stories shift narratives well i've got exciting news We here at The Lucky Few have teamed up with Katie Casada once again. So she is basically a story expert. And Katie launched something really rad called Story School Live. And this February, in just a few weeks, we are having our second ever Story School Live event, and it's going to be in Southern California. We're so excited. Story School Live is a moth-style storytelling event. This event will feature eight people telling true stories live on stage, five minutes each. And every storyteller will share a story around the theme of belonging. Hello, does this not completely resonate? Tickets are on sale right now. They're only $35, which is really affordable. And every single cent goes to the narrative shifting storytelling work happening at the Lucky Pee Foundation. I hope that you're gonna be able to join us Again, the event is February 16th. It starts at 6.30 and it's at the Whimsy in Pasadena, California. And if you can't make it, if coming to Pasadena, California on February 16th at 6.30 is not something that you're able to do, then you can grab a ticket for $20 for a virtual recording of the event. So you don't have to miss out on any word in any of these Amazing stories are going to be told live on February 16th at 630 at the Whimsy in Pasadena, California. As we've already spoken about, it is the beginning of February, which means that it is Valentine's Day coming up, but it's also Black History Month. And we have loved celebrating Black History Month here on the podcast. It's an important month in our nation and in our home. Um, I got out on February 1st, I got out our stack of like black advocacy, black power t-shirts. We have a lot. (laughs) The kids do um, to start wearing throughout the month and we wear them all the time. But we have a t-shirt that actually says Black History Month is every month, which is true. But we're really grateful to have this month to get to focus on black history. And we are going to be doing that, starting that off today on the podcast with two amazing mamas, welcoming them to the show, Kelly Kaufman and Crystal Lauderberry. They're both raising kids with Down syndrome and they recently started an organization called the Black... Down Syndrome Association. And I cannot wait to have this conversation with them. But before we do that, before we hear from Kelly and Crystal, I'm going to read another review from a listener. This comes from Brittany P who says, I love listening to this podcast each and every week. The hosts are authentic, honest, and don't sugarcoat. But I also feel motivated and excited for my journey with my daughter with Down Syndrome, listening to all of their stories. Uh, Brittany P. Thank you so much for sharing. That means the world to know that this podcast is working for our listeners because we are recording it for all of you. We love hearing from you. We love getting feedback. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You could pause right now and head on over there. The more reviews and especially if they're all five star, (laughs) the more reviews we have, the more we are seen on the podcast in the podcast world. So each and every review matters so much. All right, friends, as promised, I am here with Kelly Kaufman and Crystal Lauderberry, the founders of the Black Down Syndrome Association. Kelly is a mother of three and her son Cree has Down Syndrome. She's also held many leadership roles across various Down Syndrome advocacy groups, including the the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network, as we know around these parts as the DSDN, and her local Gigi's Playhouse. And Crystal is the mother of her three-year-old son Griffin, who has Down Syndrome. She was driven to help found... The black down syndrome association because she wanted to see more images of black children with down syndrome represented in media and everywhere i would imagine um which she can speak more to and i'm just really excited to have both these women on i've met both of them we've had kelly kaufman on the podcast in the past and we have links to her episodes her past episodes um, crystals also participated in some interviews we've done in the past for the podcast so they are dear friends here and we're grateful to have them back. Crystal and Kelly, welcome to the Lucky Few podcast. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. Hi. Hi. Okay, let's help our listeners know who's who. So let's start with Crystal and the, and then just we'll get to know your voice and <laughs> tell us a little bit just about you and where you're at.
1: So my name is Crystal Lottaberry, and I am one of the co-founders of BDSA. As you stated, I have a lovely three-year-old son, Griffin. He's an only child. We are done. Uh, (laughs) I was a first-time parent at 40, so I'm exhausted. Uh, We do have two little fun dogs, Loki and Sugar Bear, and along with my husband, and that completes our little happy family. So live just outside of Dallas, Texas. Um, I am in law enforcement for my employment and counting down the years to retirement. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> Six years ago. So I'm very excited.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, okay, Kelly, let's hear your voice and tell the same kind of gig okay. there, what you're up to. All right. I am Kelly
2: Kaufman. I have three children with my husband, and I also have a bonus daughter. Um, my bonus daughter is, she is literally going to be 18 in two oh my weeks. gosh. Oh, my gosh. She's a senior. She lives in South Carolina. Um, I love to tell everyone that I'm from South Carolina, my husband and I both are. But we live in Fishers, Indiana, Um, We have a daughter, Ryan, who's 16. She is a sophomore in high school. And then we have Cree, who has Down syndrome. He is in the first grade. And we have Knox, who is in kindergarten. Um, And we're just living it up in the cold Midwestern state of Indiana. (laughs) Super cold.
0: (laughs) Super cold. (laughs) We talk, I complain about weather constantly here in my. Southern California winter. I just can't even handle it. So God (laughs) bless you. Um, what, okay. Crystal, would you share a little bit, if you don't mind, um, like both of you, actually just a quick overview of how you were introduced into down syndrome. Like I'm assuming it's your kid, but was there another introduction and, or if you want to like touch a little bit on your down syndrome diagnosis story?
1: Okay. So just real briefly, I always tell people it's highly ironic or not that were are here. Um, actually, about 10 plus years ago, probably oh, more like 13 years ago, I actually um, was a volunteer what, with what is now known as the Down Center Partnership of North Texas, but they had a different name at the time. And I volunteered at their Christmas party and had a great time and still have the t-shirt to this day <laughs> from volunteering at that event. Um, I do have a... Girlfriend who has a 16 year old son with Down syndrome, so I know CJ. He's a great kid, Um, and that was kind of like all the knowledge and information I had about Down syndrome um, until, of course, I got pregnant. Um, At 10 weeks, we had our NIPT test because I wanted to have a gender reveal party because, like, that's the thing to do, right? And got a phone call from the genetic counselor, and she's like, "Hey, so." you got your test back and there's a 90% chance he will have Down syndrome, or he didn't, she didn't say he, but the baby will have Down syndrome. And I was like, oh. And I paused. And then I was like, but do you know the sex of the baby? Because my gender reveal party, right? <coughs> Priorities. <laughs> She's like, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, let me give the phone to um, my girlfriend. And I gave her the phone and told her the sex. And I had tears in my eyes and she was like, What's wrong? And I was like, Oh, they think the baby has Down syndrome, and she started crying too. And I was like, Okay, well, it's lunchtime, so let's go eat. And that was that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And had a pretty non-eventful pregnancy. Um, Of course, I was worried the whole time, but more just about is he going to have heart issues or kind of what was going to happen with him. And he was born 37 weeks. And the was it the Carol type test? the fish test hmm. came back. They had it. And I remember the doctor saying, Oh, you know, he was in the NICU. So we were already stressed out about that. It's like, Oh, well we did, you know, the results came back and he has down syndrome. And I was like, okay, like I, I knew that already. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, Oh, and I'm like, all right, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, can we get him on the bottle so we can get him home? That's kind of all I yeah. was worried about. Yeah. So yeah, that's our story.
0: Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. I love, I love hearing people's stories because it's so interesting how everyone reacts and everyone, the presentation is different. There's so many factors, but I always think it. it we always just lean towards how we would react to, to lots of different things in life. Like, I feel like I got to know you a lot in that story, that you're just kind of even keeled. Your feathers don't get ruffled real easily. Does that feel accurate? You're like, all right, this situation, let's move forward. Just- yeah. Quality.
1: Let's, because I mean- What else? I mean, I guess there was a lot else I could have done, but you know, and I always say too, that I grew up with, or my first cousin um, is deaf and she has cerebral palsy and she was never treated any differently. It was, that's just my cousin, Jennifer. And so, you know, to know that my son would have Down syndrome was like, okay, like that's
0: okay. Thank you so much for sharing that. Kelly, would you share your introduction to Down syndrome too?
2: Yeah. So I am a teacher. So of course, there's always been a few children in the schools that I've worked in that have Down syndrome. I never really interacted much with them, but I saw them in the hallways and I was just always intrigued. But I will say during my pregnancy, I remember sitting down um, during one of my team meetings and I said like, I would love to have a child with special needs because I would do this and I would do that. You know, I was kind of just saying like what I would do if I had a child with special needs, you know, and lo and behold, like probably two or three weeks later, that's when, um, I like to say that I had a late prenatal because it was about 36 weeks. I went in to get another ultrasound. I was measuring so much farther ahead um, and they wanted me to have it. So I had it and, um, the nurse practitioner came back in the room and she told me that she saw something called a dilated umbilical cord. I really felt, um, like she was trying to rush me out. You know, she was like, don't Google it. I can tell she was very flustered. So it kind of made me, you know, be on alert, um, um, of course, I Googled dilated umbilical cord. <laughs> of course. Um, and then I followed up with the MCM like um, two or three days later. M, What did I say? MCM? I shouldn't have said that. MFM, is it? Maternal fetal medicine? Um, and when I went into the office, they were like, do you know why you're here? I said, yes. They said, um, I have a dilated umbilical cord. And they were like, what? Who told you that? So it kind of just, I don't know what kind of space I was in, but I just felt like I was kind of already like lied to. I was like, so does he not have a dilated mm. adult war? What's really going on? Um, but we go into the back room. I have another ultrasound shortly after the doctor comes in. He's very matter-of-fact, you know, and he says, we believe your child has Down syndrome, shows me the markers. I was just more confused as to why I was just finding out. I did not understand that you could find out so late in pregnancy and that you could even find out postnatally. I did not know that. Um, But like I said, he was very matter-of-fact. I think I was just more in shock because I wasn't like crying. I wasn't asking a lot of questions. I think they were more worried about me. So they had um, me contact a family member to come up there with me. And luckily, um, Travis had an aunt and uncle that lived here in Indiana at the time. um, that was able to come up and support me because Travis was away with the army during Mm -hmm. during training. So um, we sat down with genetics and I was able to ask questions and which wasn't really much because I like Crystal was not as like faced by it. Um, I just know that that was my child. I was going to love him. And the people that I had told were so supportive. It was just like, why would I be sad about it? You know, Um, I was just happy. Like I always tell everyone that the day that I found out, I told everybody. I told Travis, which I had to get a Red Cross message to for him to even find out. Um, I told all his family, I told my family, and then I told Facebook because I was just really into social media. And so I just remember telling the world that Cree had Down syndrome and I got so much support, um, you know, around me and my family during that time. So I would like to say that it was a positive experience for us. Um, unlike other stories that I've heard, even when it comes to how it was delivered to me, um, It was not a long and drawn out conversation. And for me, you know, it was later in the pregnancy. So there were not, there was not much that, you know, they could do. Um, I vaguely remember adoption being brought up, like, but they already knew that, you know, I loved my child and I was ready to raise them. So yeah.
0: Very cool. Here we are. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your story. That part of your story. It really means a lot. Okay. We're going to just jump in, guys. We're going to jump into the Black Down Syndrome Association. I have a question for both of you that will link us to this because it's something that somebody mentioned to me a couple, maybe it was last year. Um, I was speaking with a woman, a black woman who has a child with Down syndrome. And she said when she got her diagnosis, she thought, I've never seen a black person with Down syndrome. She had never seen a black person with Down syndrome. And so she was like, Where do I go to see myself in this story? And I think she's younger. She's been around for all of social media. Um, And I'm wondering if either of you, not that that's necessarily your experience, maybe it is, but if you can resonate with her saying that. And let's start with that. If that's something that you, like, when you hear that, are you like, that makes sense? Or is it like, "Um, I can't relate? Absolutely.
1: And, you know, I think I, I put it on our website that, it wasn't my primary motivating factor, but once we were told, you know, there's 90% chance after I ate lunch, I came home or not came home. I went back to the office mm. and literally the first thing I did was typed wow. in black children with Down syndrome. And I saw five kids and I'll never forget. Cause I counted and I'm like, why is it five? And then it's all these other children with Down syndrome and none of them are black, none of them are black appearing. Right. And I'm like, okay, I know there's more than these five babies out here with Down syndrome. Like, and like I said, I knew one person who was black who had Down syndrome. So I'm like, okay, there, there's one, there must be more, but where are they? Where's kind of like people who are going to look like my child or whatever, you know, not knowing that really he looked just like his mom and daddy. But I know that at the time, <laughs> just wanted, you know, to kind of gauge and see. And so um, I remember just hunting and looking and like, there's gotta be more of us. And I know for me that I never want another mom, dad, uncle, whoever to have that same, you know, I want them to be able to Google and be like, oh, y'all are really out here. I
2: see y'all like, here you are. Like, how can we connect? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of the past couple of years. Like, Moms have reached out to me and said, like, oh, my gosh, I'm following Cree. He's just so beautiful. And then he just, they just, from Cree's page, they would find other families. And, you know, um, and not all the time was it a parent that had a child with Down syndrome. They may say, oh, my cousin is having a baby with Down syndrome. Let me show her this. But people have been so excited to see babies everywhere and adults and, you know, elementary age and middle school age children. I feel like a lot of our families are, you know, showing up in the Down syndrome spaces more. And it's just great for new families that are able to just put in Down syndrome and see a black face. But I do recall, and I'm not sure, Crystal, if it's still like this, but if you type in like black kids with Down syndrome, even some white kids would pop up first. You would have to kind of scroll down a little bit. It's just, it it just blew my mind. Now I do see Cree sometimes if you Google it. So, and you, I've seen your son, Crystal. <laughs> yeah. So it is beautiful. I love it.
0: Yeah. It is really interesting. And I, so this will lead to, like, let's get into the Black Down Syndrome Association, but I have another question connecting us there. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Over the, over the years of being a parent in the space, in the Down syndrome space, what do you think is that disconnect? Because we know that Down syndrome doesn't discriminate by race or ethnicity. So what do you think is some of the dis- disconnects? Maybe like on a macro level and a micro level, if you want to go there.
2: Um, one part is that I feel like in our community, a lot of families don't want to share their stories with the world you know social media in a way is still kind of new to certain people people are you know a little more guarded they don't want to you know put their child out there to the world and then have people typing comments under their pictures um I've heard families say that um and then I feel like some people it takes families a while to like come to grips with it um in our community, um, I hear people say, you know, like, well, we're praying about it. Or their family members say, like, we're going to pray this, you know, away. Like, it can't be prayed away. But I think it has some cultural things going on that kind of affect it. Um, and then I just feel like we're not as thought about, you know, like we're an afterthought um we're thought about maybe for black for um black history month or we're thought about when your organization is being audited and you know you're thought about when something is in the news and you know then you want to reach out it's it it's those kind of little things that are i don't even want to say they're helping but they're just they're bringing more things to the forefront um, and I think families are just standing up more, you know, and not just for their Black children with Down syndrome, but just for their Black children in general. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I, I would add, though, I think
1: some we as Black people, African-Americans, we got so much other stuff to deal with as well that I think sometimes it's just it's just another thing. Right. And, and we keep it moving. Like there's not, we're not gonna focus on the mm-hmm. disability because we're trying to eat. Like we're trying to find good education, we're trying to find good health care. So it's just, yep. you're okay. I know I have friends who even will say about Griffin. I st- I actually had a girlfriend asking like, are you just saying he has Down syndrome so you can get attention? Crazy. And I'm like, is this is this real life? <laughs> <laughs> but for her, she's like. I don't see him doing anything differently than any other child. And it's like, it's just not a big deal Mm -hmm. too. So it's like, okay, it's it's not like. mm
2: -hmm. And that is so, because Crystal, and I'm not going to say this is like this for all black families, but in the spaces that we've been in and the women and moms that we've talked to that have children with down syndrome, we've talked about this before and we all have kind of said like, you know, when we're in these Facebook groups, we notice that a lot of the non-black moms, they are I don't know how to say the word, but they're like we are just more reserved, like about the down about our kid having Down syndrome. We kind of are more like, yeah, he's just my kid, and yeah, he's got down syndrome. I don't even think about Down syndrome. Whereas we see more parents that are not black, they kind of are like still dwelling on it, dealing with it. And like Crystal said, it could be because, you know, our community just has so many other things that we're prioritizing um, in our lives that it really for us just mm-hmm. feels like our kid, you know, like we say, more like we're more like than different. But I feel like some families really haven't come to grasp with that because I truly feel that way about Cree. Like we're more like than different. Um, He's more like his peers than he is different from them. So I just try, like, I literally don't think about Down syndrome. Only the only reason I do think about Down syndrome is because we have this organization now because I was a leader in Facebook groups. Like other than that, I just don't think about Down syndrome, like at all. I don't know. (laughs) It's just,
0: yeah. I can relate to that, yeah. If I didn't have it, if I wasn't working in the downstream field, I would feel like, I don't, yeah, I'm not thinking about that much. I think it's super helpful to hear you guys share that, and I appreciate it. I, I have heard from other Black families and African American families in the downstream space that it is there is a sense of, do you know what is what's already on our plate, and disparity might be the wrong word. Because Down syndrome is not a disparity, but this is all the ish we're dealing with on yeah. the day to day basis being black in America. Period. Mm-hmm. So black. put it period. Yeah. Almost like, and I could be so off here and you just tell me. Almost as though being like being white, a white mother to a child with down syndrome America and feeling all those over letting that be oh so overwhelming is a privilege. It's a privilege for Down syndrome to be so overwhelming. Does that feel too terrible?
1: Yeah said that so well yeah okay yes well said well said i have a young know, lady like i don't want to call her a good friend but somebody i know and her, her child and mine are three weeks apart and the conversations we have or pad i just kind of like is this really what's like a priority you mm-hmm. like this hurts your feelings like sis uh A friend, Mm -hmm. like I need you, like oh, yeah, 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 like privilege. Like I wish that could be the thing I'd be worried about. Is Mm -hmm. oh, I'm like worried about my child, you know, being able to articulate so he's not sexually assaulted or you know killed by the police because he can't communicate. Like yeah, solo
0: level. Yep, yeah. It is. It's one of those things, I will just speak as a white woman, because I am, It until you intentionally take a step towards understanding that, it's one of those like, you can't know what you don't know. But in 2023, there's just so much we should know at this point in life. And so it, I just appreciate the work you ladies are doing. I appreciate you sharing with the whole community, the downstream community, because it's a conversation and you guys can bring to light. Mm -hmm. things that things is the best word I can think of right now. Things that we need, that we all need to know as a collective down community. And then things I need to know as an individual, as a white mom who is for all the people, but I don't know how to be for all the people. If, if organizations like yours don't exist to share with someone like me, just your story, not even like this is a list of tasks to do because that's obnoxious and exhausting, but like, hey, let me hear, let me hear your story. Let me hear. Oh, I had no idea. There's gotta be listeners who are like, I have never thought once about the fact that when a child is born with Down syndrome into an African-American family, into a black family, that they are there's already so many disparities that they're up against. That yeah, maybe that isn't why there's so many pictures on a Google search. Maybe that's one of the reasons, you know. And it helps, it helps think differently. Okay. Black Down Syndrome Association. So tell us how we got, how did you start this? This is a new organization. I was so pumped to see it pop up on my socials. And I would love to know what brought you there.
1: me, Okay. Um, I think just recognizing um, that there needed to be a space for Black families, Black people with the Down Syndrome, because... The Google search is not enough, um, our, you know, we had a great group um, and I thank DSD for you know making the space for that group um, and the group that they currently have, but we kind of just wanted something like for us, by us, because I think that's important, right? Um,
0: that's
1: I feel empowered, you know, when I can see somebody who looks like me, you know, who understands, may not understand fully because Black people are not a, I can't ever say the word right. Monolith. Thank you. Know what I'm <laughs> we all have different cultural experiences and upbringing and things, but there are just some things that are common about being a Black person and to be able to have a safe space, a culturally competent safe space That's good. for our families to go to where they don't have to explain. They just can be. And we're like, well, I get it. Like, You know, what's understood does not need to be explained. Like, we get it. So good.
0: I'm writing that down. What's understood.
2: (laughs) It's so true. Like, Crystal can vouch. Like, we've had families in our group, you know. And let's just say, first, so years ago, um, the Down syndrome Diagnosis Network, um, created a subgroup of DSDN for Black families. They have over 60 subgroups, as a matter of fact, for Spanish-speaking families, um, babies that have had heart surgeries, divorced parents, LGBTQ plus families. So um, I helped run and organize the Black family subgroup. But like Crystal said, um, after years, we just knew that we wanted to have something that was Black-led 100%. um, We listened to our families. We would have families reach out to us and just say, hey, you know, like, what's going on with this? Or what's going on with that? Or I don't really want to share this information because I just don't feel like it's a totally safe space. Or, you know, I just don't want to say this publicly, you know, even though it's in this private group. So we understood that and we recognized. And, you know, we tossed around a lot of ideas and you know if we should stay this route with dsd because they have been so supportive and they still are very supportive of bdsa um to this day um so we're thankful for that journey but like crystal mentioned we knew that our families deserved to have an organization that was black led and black ran so we're super excited for it um it's a lot launching an organization. Um, and I don't think I've ever said this to Crystal, but, you know, her son is much younger than mine. And mm. when Cree was born, he's going to be eight in like two weeks. When Cree was born, like I hit the ground running and I just haven't stopped. And mm. I felt myself like coming to a stop, like, but Crystal kind of like reinvigorated me, you know, like we would meet up and, you know, at retreats and talk and Because her son is so young, I know she still has that vibrancy. Um, So she kind of just lit a match under me even more and just encouraged me. Um, And so we're doing this thing together. And it's been really great. It is a lot of work. We've had a lot of support um, from our families um, and some other local Down syndrome organizations, national organizations. So it's going in a great direction.
0: How did you guys meet? Crystal and Kelly, how'd you two meet? Through the um our black families group.
1: Yeah. Okay, and I cool. think I was probably just real active and you know, because I was excited and I was in all the things, right? All the groups. Yeah. And um and she reached out
2: to me at one point. I don't oh, I guess was I a regular moderator? I think you may have been a, a moderator before, but I recognized like families that I felt like stood out within ESDN as well, because I was in multiple groups and I would always see Crystal, like, oh Crystal has a young um son she is just ready to go i love it so she became um a moderator for our black family subgroup and it just took on from there we've gone to retreats together she is the ultimate roommate who will keep you up all night (laughs) so like through those retreats we would just be in our room just like planning for the future you know like okay we're gonna do this we're gonna do that so yeah that's how it started
0: so good. It's so good to have people to dream with. Mm-hmm. So, when did you guys start? When did this organization start?
1: Um, our paperwork says we are official <laughs> uh, recognized. Uh, what a five hundred one c three recognized
0: nonprofit. August thirty first of twenty twenty two. When when did you start that paperwork though? I'm familiar with the nonprofit world. Bless. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, we had been working on this since the summertime, so we had some. Yeah. We had one plan, and we decided to kind of go in another direction. So we had to pivot and show you some stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, so it was a it was a strenuous process. But Chris, I feel like I, I think strange. it was str- yo, like, we started our own nonprofit. Like I wrote bylaws and <laughs> Thank- but thankfully, um. I'm not a registered parliamentarian, but I am in the National Association of Parliamentarians. So I knew parliamentary procedures and other stuff. So I think that helps. But I, yeah, just as Kelly said, just getting it from the ground up is, you know, a huge task, especially when i um, hundred you know, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I don't want to go to jail. So I want to make sure my <laughs> paperwork
2: is in order and things are right, you know. Yeah. Uh, the process could take a long time, but I feel like when talking to others, ours was a little bit shorter when you say Crystal than people, yeah,
1: yeah. But I'm gonna discount that all the favor that you know,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Apparently,
2: I knew what I
1: was doing. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you did. Um,
0: what, so, what is what is, do you guys want to do with this? Like, what is the purpose of lockdown syndrome? So, Black Down Syndrome Association?
2: Yeah. So we want to connect Black families in the Down Syndrome community with resources to improve their lives in a more meaningful way by addressing the many inequalities present that increase barriers to access, support, and education. And yes, I'm reading this off of our website, www.blackdownsyndrome.org. And we strive to fill the gap for the families that we serve. That is our mission. We have so many things that we want to do with BDSA. Um One day we want to have what we're going to call a family reunion. We want to get moms, dads, grandparents, caregivers, um, and one location with our loved ones with Down syndrome. We want to um, host an event for our teen. They're not children. Yeah, teen self advocates. We are um, doing a project now where we're ensuring that our female advocates um, know about their bodies and their period, and where we've created some little packages for them that have some very important necessities, along with a book that they can go through with their families to learn more. So many things. That's great. We're in the works with our seminars. Um, most of all, we want to work with local DSAs. That is like where we really want to work because we want our families to be connected in their community. We want them, of course, to be involved in national organization, global organizations, but we think that it's okay. really important to, you know, advocate. White yeah, for sure. To at home. Yeah, it's a connected home for sure.
1: So, and that's kind of like we have our four points there: connect, engage, educate, and like Kelly said, big one the connecting because right now it's just Kelly and I doing the legwork, and we don't live, you know, anywhere we're on different sides of the um, United States and stuff. And we do have our online support group and community, but just ensuring that get locked in with the local because. The local knows stuff that we don't know. They have those access to resources. They know kind of where to go and who to go with. Um, But we want to collaborate as well because what I have learned just in talking with families locally is they don't come to stuff. You know, I joke and say that um, Griffin, not so much Mira's dad, um, is the face, is the black face of one of the local, Mm -hmm. you know, partnerships because he's on the website (laughs) these <laughs> whenever they have an event, they're asking us, hey, will you participate? And I appreciate that because they know you know we're one of the families who are gonna show up, we're gonna be right. there, you know. But I say, hey, we've got like 40, 50 other families who, you know, have been doing this much longer right. than we have and would be glad to be a resource center asset, but we need you to come to us. Maybe not just always have stuff all the way out there. So so
2: And also, when I think about Mm -hmm. national organizations and local organizations, we want to be that resource for them because we know that we have a community of almost 1,000 families. So um, we've already connected with a couple of Down syndrome organizations um, and just kind of had some brain sessions thinking about how they can collaborate with their Black families and how they can create subgroups. So that's really a lot of the work we're wanting to do. So, you know, we're doing it.
0: So cool. So good. What a needed resource. Um, Okay. You had mentioned that you started this also because of some of the inequalities that Black individuals with Down syndrome face in their lives. Can you give some examples of those for our listeners who might think, what are you talking about?
1: So, i may read.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yes. Um, so, you know, I like doing research. Just living as a Black person, mm-hmm. I know just inequalities that exist. And um, we you know there's inequalities in healthcare, in education, um, and resources. And for me, it's important that um, our families just have mm-hmm. access to the information. I think that's where there's a gap, right, is that they just simply don't know. I'm A type I don't say a type personality person, but I'm somebody like I'm gonna research, I'm gonna find it, and I'm gonna know. So when I have my son and they're like, Oh, we have this, I don't need none of that because I've already contacted this person, this person, this person, like I'm good to go. You know, let me be a resource to help some people (laughs) because I knew, you know. And oftentimes our families just don't have they don't know the person Mm -hmm. who knows the person to get the resources. Right. And um or they because of their working a job that requires overnight, they just may not have the ability to walk in
2: families don't have the opportunity to lock in with their local organization because they're busy or whatever. Okay, we could go that
1: way. I wasn't going that route, but we could do that, yeah, just because of access, like um they may not have transportation, mhm. The event may be far away. I've talked with my two locals about, you know, there's a large concentration of black families in the area where I live because I live in a predominantly black area. But the closest events that these locals have are 45 minutes to an hour away. Now mind you I live in a Metroplex, so most people have cars, but not everybody has a car. And people are just not willing to drive 45 minutes to an hour away to access services when it's like, you know how much gas is and this is time and I've got to do this and I've got other kids that I'm raising and I'm just trying to live and eat and da, da, da. So showing up to an event um, where they may go and feel unwelcome because they're the only ones there and they feel uncomfortable, um, they're not motivated to do that. But we had, you know, when you have events locally close to us that we can get to, yeah, we're going to show up. You know? Um, Good point. What else? I want to say something else about you were talking about inequalities. Um, like, I had actually, you know, I did a little research, and I found out that, you know, we know there are inequalities in education with Black students in general, which um, is more Black children being involved in special education than any other race. And we know that our children with Down syndrome uh, may have to participate in those services. However, due to racial bias and teachers' beliefs towards our Children's academic potential. Our kids are oftentimes placed in restrictive learning environments and not given the resources necessary to help them thrive and succeed. Mm-hmm. Right, and so we we know that that just happens because we got kids with Down syndrome, right? Like, oh, they're not going to be able to read. Oh, so it's kind of like, oh, we just we just love on them because they're just so sweet. Um, you know, we, our children aren't pushed in the way they can be. So if Children who are neurotypical are treated that way, we know that that's probably 10 times full for our children with Down syndrome or other kids who are neurodivergent, right? Um, and I right. think if you add on to the socioeconomic inequalities that are present, like right? you add on to that, you add on to the disparities in health care um, yeah. or access to quality health care. Again, I live in a predominantly black area of town, and it is just widely known and accepted. We don't go to doctors here. I travel. My son's pediatrician is an hour, hour, 15 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy. And I'm like upper middle class, right? But because of where I chose to live, I know that it's hard to access quality services here. And it shouldn't be that way because we pay a lot of money in taxes here in Texas. (laughs) But that's just what it is. So if it's a hardship and difficulty for me, somebody who's upper middle class income and can get to these places, I can only imagine how much worse it is for, wow. you know, my mm-hmm. peers and other family members who don't have those same um, financial resources or family wow. support and health and things of that nature. Yeah, very true.
2: Even, um, mm-hmm. like you said, access to information, our families often are not always, and this is why we've talked with local downstream organizations. You have to really be intentional about how you communicate with your families. Um, Not all families are gonna read a parent newsletter and they're not gonna know to go onto your website and look at your calendar. I feel like we need to get with the times, you know? What happened to sending out a text message? What happened to picking up the phone and calling people? If you really are wanting your population to look diverse and you're wanting people to participate in your programming, I think you have to go above and beyond sometimes if that's what you really want, you know? Um, So we've already encouraged some organizations to pick up the phone and call. I've had to do it myself. Um, Here in Indiana, I helped launch a black subgroup for. Down syndrome, Indiana. We wanted um, to survey our black families. We didn't get a lot of response via email, but guess what? We picked up the phone and we said, hey, do you have two minutes? Let me ask you a question. Um, But I feel like organizations Mm -hmm. could do the same thing just to share some information like, hey, we're going to have a seminar here on blah, blah, blah about this. Would you be interested? You know, Um, all the things Crystal said, you know,
0: accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's super helpful. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how the Down syndrome community as a whole can do better to advocate for all people with Down syndrome. We talk about this on the podcast from time to time, and it's something that's pretty um, important in just the lucky few overall in that there's a kind of person with Down syndrome that seems overly represented, and it doesn't represent the whole of people with Down syndrome. And that can be race and ethnicity. It can be ability. It can be so many things. And how I, my hope as an advocate in the Down syndrome space and with what I have access to is to really, we talk about shifting narrative, shift that narrative to the bigger picture of what Down syndrome means and um, what a person with Down syndrome is worth, which is the -hmm. same amount as a whole human. (laughs) And All the things that humans are, are are there, all are their birthrights, Down syndrome, people with Down syndrome, all people with Down syndrome have that. So, this is my long way of asking the question how the Down syndrome community can do better to advocate for people with Down syndrome. And I'm going to add a little aside here that I would love for both your opinions on the difference between, if you can help the listeners and help me understand, the difference between tokenism. So, that idea of like, here's this one Black kid we know, we're going to pull that person in, like you said, during auditing during, like, we're going to diversify and use this person as a token. I think our listeners are familiar with the phrase tokenism versus Mm -hmm. intentionality. That's my question.
1: Kelly mentioned it. I think it's about being intentional. I like to believe uh, we, and I'm not speaking for the Black race, but I am. (laughs) We can tell when people are being genuine with us and when people are being fake. And, you know. Okay, that's fair. Also, speaking for myself, using the eye. I know when a person, is, you know, you genuinely care and are concerned about um, the needs of people who look like me, who sound like me, um, versus just, I'm uh, just a check mark. You know, highlighting and showcasing us, not just during Black History Month, as mm-hmm. Kelly stated. You know, um, we like to believe we're bl- I'm black, 365 yeah holiday means september i I swear to you <laughs> we can talk about this too like yeah you know, we can do this every day like it's not just don't lump us all together as one group recognize again that we um are not a monolith thank you uh, monolith, I'm a monolith. um and that we do have different experiences um yeah and you know we come from just different and varied backgrounds, and it's okay to admit that hey, I don't know, I don't understand, yeah, and for ask, sure. but at the same time, at least crystal is not um you't have to pay me for my labor, I'm not just giving you this so you know like I need you to do some a Google search yeah. is a wonderful, amazing thing yeah. to get free information
0: great, yeah, a hundred percent, yeah, if you have not already done a Google search, don't start here, right that's you know this is just good advice in general friends if you have not started with google and then and then you'll you can give your lived experience and you might head over to google too <laughs> um that's super helpful crystal thank you
2: i would like to add that i feel like our families are the down syndrome community we can be better advocates. Um, You know, not just posting our kids on social media so our friends could call our kids cute and like it, but um, not being afraid to step into spaces where you may be a little, you know, hesitant, like signing your kid up for baseball and maybe not the special needs league as they call it. But Um, signing them up and then educating the staff or coming up with your own accommodations so that your child can play that sport. And sometimes I feel like um, sports organizations, they just don't understand. And um, in my experience, they have been really receptive to hearing the accommodations that I present to them and like, Oh, we can do that. Because my expectation for Cree in different um, spaces is just different. you know, I bring Cree to he played baseball last year. Well, I already knew that Cree wasn't gonna play the entire game. Um, but I let them know, and I, you know, he didn't really need any accommodations, but I just let them know, like, okay, when it's Cree's turn, let's just all like hype him up. and that was all he needed. But um, whereas some people might have thought like, oh, I don't really know if he's gonna do good on this team or people have suggested other um different abilities, soccer teams, and it's like, those things are great, and I want Cree to participate in his um, community with his peers that have Down syndrome as well, but I also want him to participate with his typically developing peers, because that's the classroom that he's in right now. He's at a in a school where he is with his typical peers, um, and I just feel like we have to start there, like bringing things up if you're involved in your PTO, you know, not being afraid to Say, well, my child has Down syndrome and I'm just thinking from a lens of a parent that has a child with different abilities, bringing those things up and just not holding back is going to help our whole community in general, because otherwise people just kind of go with the flow and they just continue to do things how it's always been done, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and you can write a letter. You don't have to, you know, voice your opinions out loud all the time. There are many things you can do, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is, that's helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I also recognize you guys that we are inviting you on during Black History Month. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll just name it. Oh yeah, but we <laughs> <laughs> will And we'll get better. It is a good point though, especially for people like me who have platforms and stuff. It's like right. Black people are not a monolith. They also can come and talk about no. any subject of any of anything any subject so don't it's not just black history month but also you got to have black people talk about black like talk about black history month um in that regard too
2: for sure i totally agree i feel like the lucky few has reached out multiple times at different times of the year so no but i mean we're we're honored to do things like this you know we want to do it we're just saying just don't limit us to where you know Like yeah, who else? Who else is better to talk about Black Down Syndrome than BSA right now? So (laughs) hey, (laughs) during
1: Black History Month, hey,
0: (laughs) and yeah, and you can talk about it any month of the year, (laughs) and should and should be talking about it every month of the year.
2: You had brought up about you know the difference between tokenism and then
0: intentionality.
2: Yeah, um, and I think I was gonna say I think that is just it. Just like Crystal said, we can feel your intentions. Um, if you feel your intentions are pure, lead with that. Um, and it might feel like it's tokenism, you know, um, I've often been put in that position where it felt like that. And I had to actually get into the situation to see like, Oh, it's not like that. Um, these people genuinely want to hear my opinions and they want to hear my thoughts. So, um, in our community, especially in our BDSA group, um, we encourage our families to show up. That is what we want. We want to encourage them to show up, you know, in their communities. We want them to all these mom retreats and dad retreats. And we want you to go there, even if you are the only one, um, Because once one comes, then maybe the next time there's more and more and more. Um, And we just want to grow that community and just, I don't know, the support is just real. Like, we were all at a retreat last year. It was just good for the soul, you know? Like, we were able to communicate with a lot of other families um, that we know that are not black. But we were able to get together with um, some black moms. And it was just beautiful to be able to just (laughs) and, you know, talk about things that are going on in our community and our children and, um, what we kind of like told them, like what we were thinking about doing at the time. And just to know that you have support and I don't know, it's just, it's just really been a beautiful thing, you know, just the support. And I have seen such a huge difference from when Cree was born To now, the amount of families that are sharing their stories, sharing their children on the internet and, you know, showing up to events. It's just, I love it. So let's keep it up. Let's keep showing up, guys. And for those people that are not black families, you know someone, you've seen a family, invite them. Be intentional about, you know, texting them. Say, hey, um, let me get your number. Maybe we can have a play date. Um, Those are just ways that, you know, are going to help our community overall, you know, let's just come together and let's do
0: this. Let's do this. Let's do this. How can we support specifically your organization? How can our listeners? So we're going to hang up. Everyone's going to, once this is done, just a couple minutes, because I don't want to take much more of you guys' time. You've been so generous with it. How are we as listeners going to be able to support the Blockdown Syndrome Association?
2: If you go to dot BlackDownSyndrome.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. We have ways that you can um, support us financially. Um, we are going to be doing a PALS fundraiser coming up starting today, So that information will be on our website. It'll also be on our Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram is just at BlackDownSyndrome. Um, like and follow us on our Facebook and Instagram. Share it with families that you know, um, share it with your local Down syndrome organization that there is an organization called Black Down Syndrome Association. Um, Just getting the word out is going to be really crucial for us right now. And um, I would encourage anybody that is on their board for their local DSA to let your board know about BDSA and maybe collaborate with us on a planning session. That's something that we really want to do Um, so if you're really ready to help your black families in your community, we're there to help you. We want to be a resource. Like we said, we have over a thousand families in our online support group. We can easily get you guys, um, some information. We may even have people that are, um, in our organization that are not participating with you locally. So, um, just spread the word.
0: That's good. And for black families listening. To your website, and I Is there a place to get involved? How can they get a part of this support group if they're not already?
1: Um, they can go to our website, um, www.blackdownsyndrome.org. And if they scroll to the bottom of the page, there's actually a link where they can join the um, our online Facebook group, it is a private group. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to answer the always answer the questions. There are two questions: How old is your child with Down syndrome, and do you are you the parent of a black child with Down syndrome? Um, so answer those questions, and we will be glad to welcome you to the family.
0: Very cool, ladies. Anything that we missed that you really want the listeners to know?
1: I just want to say this, and you know, let it let it work with you. So, for those who don't know. Um, Every Black History Month, there's a theme for the year. So this year's theme is Black Resistance. And I truly think that it speaks to the work that BDSA is doing, not only in the Black community, but the DS community and even our larger disability community. We know that inequalities exist. And instead of standing idly by, waiting for change, we are being the change we want to see with the world, letting the world know and see our worth. And we're so glad for the support of uh, organizations and companies. The Lucky Few. We thank you all for helping us
0: as we, you know, do this work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm I'm so grateful for you guys, deeply and genuinely. That was great, Crystal. We need that like. Do you do you have that written out somewhere? We need that in our show notes. Word for word. Okay. Beautiful. Yes, of course. We need access to that. Um okay. I know we've I've kept you guys for so long. So if you need to go write this second, that's fine. But if you have a second to come back and share some good news, we have a segment on our podcast called Good News where we just share a piece of good news about our level with Down syndrome. It can be huge, like they just went to the bathroom and the toilet, which is we all know that's some good news. Or like a something maybe a little less um mm-hmm. monumental like I don't know. I have a hard time always thinking of these things. They, I always go with this. They ate a new food, which is also a huge thing. It's all, it's all big. It's all good news. So we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back for good news. Growing up with a younger sister with down syndrome, Philip Clark spent his childhood watching his parents struggle to plan for Sarah's future. Not only was his family's planning journey overwhelming and confusing Philip was frustrated by the traditional planning industry's cookie cutter approach that told families all they needed to do was establish a special needs trust and buy a life insurance policy to fund it when they die. Is that type of planning enough to give you a true sense of security today and complete peace of mind regarding your child's future? Well, Philip didn't think so. That's why he founded enable special needs planning. Families that partner with Enable begin their journey by defining what a successful planning experience should look like for the entire family with a focus on their loved ones with special needs. What does a great life look like today and in the future for your child and your entire family? Then Enable's team of expert special needs consultants come alongside each family and guide them step-by-step, eliminating the guesswork from the planning process. With a nationwide network of certified financial planners and estate planning attorneys, Enable guides families to the best financial and legal strategies for their unique goals and helps them implement everything easily and efficiently. The Enable team also helps families document all essential details of their child's life and communicate their plan to family and future care team members who need to understand the family's vision of success. At Enable, developing a plan to protect your child's future in case something happens to you is just the foundation. Their true passion is to help your family clarify your vision of success and implement strategies that will benefit you for years to come, allowing your child to truly thrive. If you want to know more about planning experience, check out enablesnp.com. That's enable snp, as in special needs planning. Dot com. Time for good news. Time for good news. Everybody, welcome to the good news. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're back. I am here with Kelly and Crystal, and if you ladies would wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of good news about your—you both have sons about your sons with Down syndrome.
2: Yeah. So, my good news is that Cree is just having an awesome school year. Um, I could not ask for a better teacher. So, let me just tell you, last year, Cree um, was in kindergarten, and he had – it wasn't a one-on-one. She was a para that helped multiple students in his kindergarten classroom. Well, she loved Cree so much that she became a teacher – and she is his teacher this year. So Amazing. he loves that he has Miss H from last year, and he still has um, his special education teacher, Miss Wynn. And he's just having such a phenomenal year because he gets to be with his favorite people outside of his dad all day long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is good news. I love that. How about you, Crystal?
1: Um, my good news is that Griffin's language is exploding. <laughs> And we are super excited about that. He did age out of early intervention um, once he turned three in November. And so we have had a lapse in service. We're working through that with the school district. Um, But he said like a six word sentence. And I was like, come on, six words. I'm drowning. This is what I'm talking about. And just to see like the growth and um, I had a cute video that we showed. And this is like, Probably the first sentence, like full sentence that he said. Um, I was videotaping him while he was singing. And um, he turned and looked at me and said, mommy, get off the phone. And he came and snatched the phone out of my hand. (laughs)
0: There you go. (laughs) I love it. He said a whole sentence. He was advocating for himself, right? He did not. (laughs) Yes. Very assertive.
2: (laughs) Yes, he was. I love it.
0: I love it. Oh, Griffin, that's that is so good. I love that. Such good news. We also have good news from a listener. This is from Born by Ariver, who says my three-year-old is now holding his bottle. This is good news. I love that. Aww. Thanks for sharing that. Holding that really? bottle. That's important. That's um, listeners, if you have good news to share with us, we love to hear from you. You can go to the dot podcast.com or email us, hello at the or go to the lucky few pod on social media. And leave us a direct message and share that good news. Okay, we're wrapping this one up. Crystal and Kelly, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being here, sharing what you're doing, for doing what you're doing. Um, and as always, anything we can do for you guys, let us know. Thanks for your time. Um, thanks to Josh Avis for editing the episode, Val Schleder for producing it, and Ashley Fracolosi for managing social media. And friends, if you like this episode and there's no way that you didn't, um, share it with family and friends. Share it with your Down Syndrome Association and don't forget to subscribe and you can go to luckyfewpodcast.com for show notes. Anything here that we said you will get a link to will be there, including any information that you need for Black Down Syndrome Association. Um, And make sure you're following Lucky Few on social media at the Lucky Few pod and listener today, this day, whether you have Down Syndrome or not, you are slaying it. We are here for you. We love you deeply and we're cheering you on and we'll be with you next week. Bye. Bye. You guys can say, you can say bye. bye. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to hit stop and then